Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, we take on a couple of villains to sort out whether bad stuff is also illegal stuff. George Santos won a seat in Congress by lying to voters, but is that a crime? And Kanye West made it clear he hates Jews. In England, he'd go to jail for that. Here in America, did he commit a hate crime? Listen to Too Many Lawyers on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. John Anik and Kenny Florian. I fucking love them. I can't get enough of them. Let's hear that boss tonight. Big jab there from Duffy and Frank Mir is hurt now. Oh, down goes Duffy O'Connor. Frank Mir does it again. Rock'em, sock'em, robots here. Oh, my goodness. I They're a couple of absolutely self-involved bullshit artists. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. All right, good to be back in your life Sunday, July 10th, 2022. It's episode 356 of the Anakin Florian podcast starring former three-time UFC title challenger Kenny Florian. You know, they say you're not supposed to have aspartame for more reasons than one. Like, Ken Flo hasn't had aspartame in a long time, right? I went for a run this morning. I had some Diet Coke, and it messes with your voice. So I only drink coffee and tea. Very rarely will I have a Monster Energy drink on fight night if I really need it. But we 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 banged some aspartame this morning, Ken Foam. We're paying the price. <laughs> I had never heard that about the voice, kid. That's crazy. I know. Citrus and aspartame, Dang. both very bad. People think, oh, yeah, hot water with lemon. No, no citrus on fight night for commentators <laughs> out there. Yeah. But it is good to be back with everybody. Uh, what have you been doing? You've been shooting guns, doing all sorts of tactical training, just becoming like <laughs> like a more lethal human weapon in your spare time. Is that what you've been doing? Basically. Well, well, the thing is, I'm getting older, all right. So, so my back isn't as good as it used to be, and I, I just enjoy doing that stuff. Like, I get obsessed with certain things, and then when I get into it, like, I, I need to be doing it or thinking about it yeah, all the time. Right. So, like, I, I'm trying to get better, um, learning a lot, and uh, and having some fun. A uh, shout out to uh, my guy Scott Jelinski, the Jedi. Uh, red dot expert he was uh, an amazing coach so learned a lot uh, last week yeah good stuff speaking of your age in terms of competitive jujitsu you got that little gym in your house so to speak right now with the padded walls and everything else Um, those you know jones in to see you back on the competitive jujitsu circuit they should not hold their breath is that the deal yeah so you know my my back's been bad for a while but I, i have there's no rhyme or reason of what sets it off like i haven't been able to train more than two or three times a week in a long time dude like my I, I don't get it i'll do all the things i'm supposed to be doing and and my back just like turns to garbage so 
Um, got to figure something out. I'm thinking about maybe some stem cell or something for my back yeah. um, and my hip and my knee and probably right. something else. But anyways, yeah, I, I'm deteriorating, John. That's that's yeah, the, uh, that's right. the short story. Yeah. No, Buffer said to me a couple weeks ago, he's like, hey, man, you know, every decision you make right now, you're going to pay for in 20 years. And I'm like, whoa, bro, I'm just trying to go for a fucking walk in Singapore before the pay-per-view, you know? Um, but obviously Buff takes great care of himself. You know, I think for a lot of us, we work hard, we play hard. Right. Uh, and I yeah. guess I should just leave it at that. Uh, Bruce, Bruce still doing splits, John, I think. Oh, all sorts of stuff. I mean, you should yeah. see his warm up before he, uh, announces, you know? <laughs> he's a beast. Just stay he's out of his beast. range. You know, his know. management isn't so good with his kicks and his, his pre-fight. Dude, He'll slap you in the face with his foot. There's no question about there it. There is no doubt about yeah. it. If I was an athlete and I didn't want to give him a fist bump, I'd probably just give him like the token fist bump. Get this lunatic out of my face. He's screaming. Veins coming out of his neck. Anakin Florin podcast today brought to you in part by UFC Fight Pass. See the best UFC Fight Pass has to offer on the Fight Pass 24-7 stream, offering a constant channel of historic fight action all day, all night. Tune in, sit back, and enjoy a network created by fans for fans. Step into our world at UFCFightPass.com. All right, headlines today will focus on UFC Fight Night, which just evaporated a few hours ago. It was UFC Fight Night, Dos Anjos versus Fazeev at the old UFC Apex. Always interesting when you go from uh, bells and whistles at T-Mobile Arena, 30-foot octagon, back to the 25-footer at the UFC Apex. Uh, really good main event, really good performance for Rafael Fazeev. Gets the knockout of Rafael Dos Anjos at 18 seconds of round five. It came after RDA had a particularly strong round four after Fazeev really had controlled most of the action up until that point. Uh, plus 150 for those who had Fazeev by knockout TKO or DQ. Uh, your thoughts on the lightweight main event just a few short hours ago. My man. We know a lot more about uh, Rafael Fazeev than we did before. Uh, you know, this was the fight that I was kind of most looking forward to, to see what's this guy all about? You know, is, is he the real deal and beating someone like a Rafael or Rafael Dos Anjos, sorry. Um, you know, it certainly answers that question for me. And, and I think Dos Anjos obviously has been in a lot of fights. He's got some wear and tear, perhaps not as fast or doesn't have the reaction time that he used to. Um, it, I see slight deterioration in that regard, but he's still a phenomenal fighter who is dangerous in a lot of different ways. And the fact that Fiziev was able to stop, the majority of those takedowns find a way to not get positionally dominated on the ground. Uh, the fact that he was out striking Dos Anjos for the majority of that fight. Uh, and I thought actually fought smarter than, than Dos Anjos as well. Uh, says a lot about his, tra his potential trajectory in the UFC. I think he's a guy that I would, um, you know, feel pretty good about getting behind. Uh, and I think that um, he's a guy that is going to continue uh, to rise and, and beat a lot of guys in that very difficult division of the UFC. Seemed like the narrative on broadcast at the beginning of the fifth round was of an exhausted Fazeev and a fresher Rafael Dos Anjos. And I just have to say about RDA, I'm not going to get into the whole resting heart rate stuff, but he seemed fresh as a daisy to begin round five, despite mm -hmm. just absorbing a lot of kicks, a lot to the body. I just marvel at his toughness and his ability to sort of sustain at this stage of what I believe is a Hall of Fame career. And, you know, he was in the fight going into the fifth round. Obviously, he has a wealth of, of five-round experience. This was his 11th UFC main event. Um, 
But Rafael Fazib obviously was not cooked. Obviously, he was urgent at the beginning of round five, and he went for it. Um, I did think it was kind of an early stoppage. My man, Mark Smith, you know, will let Chase Sherman practically kill Jared Vandera earlier in the night. You know, Mark, I think you're outstanding if you are listening. Um, but, you know, letting the heavyweights, you know, really go at it. And then I thought Rafael Dos Anjos maybe deserved a beat or so more. Uh, I guess it's neither here nor there. Um, I don't know. I have a lot of respect for RDA and, and a healthy respect for, for Rafael Fazeev, of course, with, with a huge win, biggest of his career. I, I think that's fair. I, I would have liked to seen, uh, you know, Mark allow RDA to try to get back into it. Um, I think that he was certainly hurt. It was a beautiful shot, a left hook that went up and over that lead, that lead right hand of Dos Anjos, the southpaw. Um, and it was a shot that Fazeev was actually kind of landing throughout that fight. Um, uh, intermittently, and and that one ultimately just crushed uh, Dos Anjos. And yeah, I I don't think he was completely out. He was trying to fight back. He was trying to do stuff. It was a little bit early for me, but Fazeev had him in trouble, absolutely. But you know, to go back to your point about the Chase Sherman Vandera fight, yeah, I mean that <laughs> he he certainly had a lot of leeway at that. And those are heavyweights that are landing devastating shots these are just lightweights but um so i, I would i would have liked to seen some consistency there as well i mean it's like eve levine in ufc 73 <laughs> with ken flo and alvin robinson they're on the ground for two seconds you know hey it is what it is obviously it was a clean shot and uh you know i'm sure dos Anjos, as classy as ever probably didn't even protest it but you know i watched the entire card last night before going to bed and then I woke up today and watched the main event, so it was fresh in my mind, um, sort of the juxtaposition between uh, how those two situations were handled. All right. The Minutemen were out last week. Obviously, there was no Ray Longo Minute. He was at a wedding. We did the show late Sunday night, but we have Ray at the top of the show this week, and we are very, very privileged to be joined um, by the longtime <coughs> trainer to the stars. He of Extra Rounds fame. Oh, I mean, man. My goodness gracious. Look at your coloration today. Oh. <laughs> I mean, you look black. You look great. You do look great. Well, I mean, you know, don't say anything. I look. We got to get the it. rest of your. We got to get the rest of your hair in the shop. Oh yeah, though. come on, see. come where on. Are where are we? There we go. That looks beautiful. beautiful. It there is amazing go. how gracefully you are aging. I mean, oh, like yeah. I, oh, I exercise. No, I live in Florida. I exercise <laughs> right. outside most every day, and you're like fifty shades of. I mean, you look fifty shades darker than I do. Yeah, I, I'm telling you, I, I, first off, I don't sit out in the sun for that long. Right, right. But I've been riding the bike, you know, for like an hour and a half. So, and then, then some some of those days are sunny. So I think that's uh, what's happening. If I Yeah, had we look like we're on a podium right but now. But I mean, but even like the first 20 minutes in the sun of the season, I just brown quick. Yeah. I don't know what to say. But uh, yeah. heaven forbid but, I talk about your appearance. We should get right back to oh, Rafael yeah. Fazeev. No, right? let me tell you something. But okay. golden years, go fuck you. There's nothing. But golden what? This yeah. is horrible, Ken Flo. Don't, <laughs> don't get old. That's my advice to you guys. Are you going to oh, be one man. of those guys who has like black hair in his 80s? Like you don't dye that. I don't die. Definitely don't dye it. No. That is nuts, man. Fucking is nuts. It, I have a white whiffle. My, man, no. When I see you this week, you'll see there's a lot of grays in there. You just can't see them. I'm really excited to see you. Oh, man. It's going to be somewhere. When are you getting in? Early. I'm coming uh, early Wednesday, and I'm going to be there a long time. We get off the air at 5 p.m. on Saturday. So oh, shoot. I was oh, thinking, that's a... you know, we'll see what your weekend holds. Oh, I, mean, no. I don't well, want to I'm, I'm, open. Business, but... I'm open for you, buddy. And that's we can it. even do a podcast and a dinner potentially on Saturday night. I mean, Wow, all Ken Flow. 
you know? Are you coming down? You flying? I, down? I wish. I wish. You know how on, much man. this guy has going on that I mean, <laughs> come on, tactical come training down. and robot fights in the PFL and two children oh and vacations gosh. in South Carolina. I mean, no, life, he's not, is, life I mean, is good. Flo. Life is good for Ken Flo. That's great. <laughs> what are you doing this weekend, Ken Flo? Be honest with us. He probably uh, could come. He probably th- could fucking come. Th- I have to call Clark. He's at the country club. This weekend, no, I'm just, I'm just here with the family. I'm just ah. hanging out. I'm hanging out by the beach with the family. Yeah. So. By the um, beach, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, the good uh, old days. We'll take that conversation off the air. Uh, but man, wouldn't it be great to get the band together? I don't know that the uh, three of us have it. ever been in the same place. I know at the same time. At the same time. I would. We love launched it. the podcast in 2015, and that was a very, very nice text you sent me, John. Thank you. That the Which US, text are you referring to? I think. Oh US, yeah. All right. Where I'm was gonna, at, I'm gonna I read was, it on the air. I was out of the podcast, Kenny. I, I don't even know what I was looking at. No. So, so <laughs> if you are watching or listening to this on Sunday, July 10th, um, thankful to our man Mark Lamonica, um, who was the impetus for the New York Post doing sort of a long form feature on me. The, oh, ran wow. the Sunday New York Post, uh, written Amazing. by Neil Best, longtime well, sports media columnist. Mark is a great guy. You'd love. I don't know guy. if you, I don't know if you've met him, but you'd love him. He's just. Oh yeah, great guy. What a yeah. really nice guy. Seems yeah. like a great I father. All on Instagram, the whole bit. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. He'll reach out to Ken Flo and thank you, Kenny, for everything. So anyway, so I get a text right as they're doing this piece from Mark. Uh, is the Ray Longo minute still part of the Anik Emporium podcast going forward? The email from UFC Press about the new UFC Fight Pass podcast network. Didn't mention him in your information graph, but had him in the extra rounds podcast. I mean, just wondering how to handle for this feature piece. Yeah. So I feel like Rodney Dangerfield. <laughs> Respect. I was thinking I mean, more like Benedict Arnold. I don't know. Benedict. Oh, wow. <laughs> I thought, oh, I, mean, I thought it was one big happy family. No, certainly. No. Not. Oh, certainly my not. God. So my response to, to the New York Post was. The Ray Longo Minute has been a part of the Anakin Florian podcast since episode one when we launched the show in April of 2015. He has probably been a part of 350 of our first 355 episodes. He's not going anywhere. Well, isn't so, that nice? Was that the text? Yeah. Yeah, that's the text. <laughs> so, so I guess that guy never listened to the podcast once. That's what, that, <laughs> that's what it he meant to not. me. No, yeah, well, yeah. I think... Part of it was because last week, circumstantially, you weren't on. And yeah. uh, as long as people associate you with this show and, uh, uh, and not trust, interact. So. And, and trust me, I want to be on. So, uh, all right. So we have a lot to get to. Um, Aljamain Sterling and TJ Dillashaw, I believe, have a date. Is that accurate? Uh, that would be inaccurate. Okay. Right, as far as I know. What, what's okay. the date? Well, I thought I heard a rumbling or a rumor that maybe two months from now, September, pay-per-view. But uh, I guess that's uh, well. There's definitely nothing signed. I could okay. I could promise you that. But I haven't I haven't talked to Al Joe in a week. So all right, I Dennis think he would... Bazooka back on the Contender Series. I saw Bazooka right. back on the Contender Series. Charlie Campbell right after him, and then Nazim is right after him. So we got three guys on the Contender Series. I think back to back to back. The first three weeks. So not a lot of local flavor on this Long Island fight. Yeah. This week. Probably why the New York Post is doing a feature on a Boston guy. You know, you like that, Ken? Well, <laughs> fucking Boston guy getting that New York ink. You like that? Shit? 
<laughs> I guess they knew. I guess yeah, right. They knew that your dad was from Seaford. I yeah. think that's that was the whole <laughs> impetus. I'll yeah. use your word. Yeah, none of the stuff I said about Boston made it in there. Like, you guys sure you want to profile uh, a Red Sox fan? You know, take up the New York Yankees. You know. So, uh, yeah, but it is interesting. There isn't a ton of local flavor. Billy Q no longer on the fight card. Shane Burgos is a local New Yorker, but uh, not necessarily uh, to that area. Um, all right. Let's get back to uh, to Fazeev and Dos Anjos if we could. Um, you know Dos Anjos has a huge fan in me. Anybody who's listening yes. to this show knows that. But uh, Rafael Fazeev is a real problem. Like, I wouldn't want to get kicked by that guy one time. Not one time, you know. And um, he just kicks so hard. He kicks so fast. Uh, I think he accrued a lot of valuable experience this night against a former world champion. Yes. And, um, you know, a lot of big fights on the horizon. Maybe Gaethje next. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, uh, I thought he did. The, the best thing I think he did is conserved his energy better. You know, he didn't. Uh, I think that's why he made it to the fifth round. Because the Bobby Green fight, he started to gas out, I think, in a little bit in the third. But he did a way better job at like more technical, less explosions, which I think that's what's going to kill him when he starts really exploding over and over again. So I, I was really impressed with that. What a close fight. I, mean, I don't know. Who, anybody know what the cards were going into the fifth round? Did we get that? Cody will chase that. I, I believe I had one, two, and three for Fazeev and then round four for Dos Anjos. Ken Flo, any thoughts on the cards? Yeah, that's pretty much what I, how I had it. I think forget if it was round three or two that was close in my mind. But, yeah, I had uh, Fazeev winning the first three. So Dos Anjos had some work to do for sure. Yeah. So this kind of closes the championship book on Dos Anjos. You know, he did have some momentum, looked really good in the Moicano fight, even though there were some circumstances surrounding that main event. Yeah. Um, but for Dos Anjos at this point, you know, not that he won't fight again, but I think in a lot of respects, I think over 30 UFC fights, maybe over 20 UFC wins. This kind of closes the book on his championship legacy. Uh, but Fazeev wants Gaethje. What do you guys think about that? And do you think that will be next? I mean, I think it's a good time to call out Gaethje because, you know, Gaethje's had some championship opportunities, hasn't delivered. I, I think that makes a lot of sense. That might be the next the next fight for Fazeev. Ray, what do you think about Fazeev and Gaethje uh, locking up? I mean, uh, come on, that's an exciting fight. I I I I want to watch it. You know, definitely a fight that's not going five rounds, so it's going to be exciting. So yeah, I think that's a that's a great fight, and I think Gaethje's always up for uh, you know for the challenge. Look, I think that the thing good for Fazeev is that these guys are getting older, and a lot of stuff comes with getting older. You know, even like the that you know that that desire to really win. You know, maybe just to pick up a paycheck. I don't know. But even like Dos Anjos, it was, it was a good fight. It was competitive. But the guy is 37. It's going to be hard to climb your way back at that weight, you know, at that age, I think. And uh, I think a younger RDA probably wins that fight, you know. But, um, you know, how many uh, – what was his layoff on this, too? He was out for – No, not too long. Not, not too no, long? No, I, honestly, I feel like – in a 30-footer, Dos Anjos at this stage of his career would be a little bit more exposed. I think he uses that 25-footer well. Certainly was able to run a lot of clock in the clinch against Paul Felder. And I even think athletically, like his entries for takedowns were pretty good, but Fazeev was was more than up for that challenge. Um, I just think stylistically, Ken Flo, at this stage of Dos Anjos' career, even though he does kick, and I just think a lot of it is just a war of attrition and trying to, you know, just clinch and, and take down and that, that's kind of what his game 
is right yeah. now. You know. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I think he was he was making a few mistakes in the clinch there. He was starting to figure it out. Like in round four, he was looking way better. The way he was finishing and the way he was adjusting to try to get Fazeev on uh, on the mat, I thought was a lot better. And I also think he was forcing um, a lot of the clinches, like. Dos Anjos, when he strikes, was doing fine. Without I think, a doubt. He was panicky. He was a little panicky right, out there. Like, big... he had to rush to the clinch all the time. So it seemed like, I don't know, uh, he could have fought a little bit smarter and better. But, you know, Fazeev's a problem. And I think that's an interesting call-out and a smart call-out against Gaethje, who's been through how many wars now? Yeah. Um, and, right, you know, Fazeev, Fazeev's got the speed advantage, I think. Um so Danny Rubes, uh, right? Rubenstein is he still uh, oh, is yeah. he still managing? Yeah, yeah. He is. He was so in the, corner, yeah. Smart, smart game plan as far as taking the right fights at the right without time. A, without a doubt, I love that call out. That's that's good stuff. Yeah, I agree not that Gaethje that. isn't dangerous. Gaethje is still a no, very but, dangerous man, but and Kenny, it's a great fight. But you beat someone like Gaethje, people people pay attention. Yeah, and I tell you, and Kenny, you know that, uh, and beat him in like a highlight reel fashion, which is right. a possibility. Uh, but you know, as these guys get older, it, it comes with a lot of injuries they got to deal with. They got to change up their game plans. They're just not the guys they were five years ago. I don't give a shit what anybody yeah. says. It's almost impossible. You know no what I mean? Because I'm I'm with Kenny. RDA looked like he was having way more success standing up. The straight left was landing all the time. Like basically, yeah. when he threw it, he, I, that's why I say I think a younger, more aggressive RDA probably wins that fight. You know, with all the other tools that he has. Yeah. yeah. But I just think it, it, it's, it just sucks, man. Uh, like, I just, I've seen it so many times and, you know, nobody really knows what's going on. But, yeah. you know, it, it's hard getting a young guy to a fight uninjured. You know what I mean? Well, it just right. is. This is just a tough, tough sport. And, uh, you know, there's going to be certain guys that their injuries are going to be less. And I think those are the guys that are going to shine through. But, uh, I you know, I, I thought yeah, I, I, I agree with Kenny. I thought he was I, having way more success. I think just based on like the Bobby Green fight, I would have made him expend energy in that realm and then went to the takedowns. You're going to have to endure. Right. You got to get through a little bit of, uh, you know, tenseness there with the striking. But that that was that would have been my approach. We're going to push him hard the first two and then we're going to take him down and beat him up. You know that, that I would have tried that. But. You know, and I thought he looked like he was doing fine. I, I agree absolutely with Ray. Um, and I, I think for Gaethje, you know, to go back to Gaethje, I, I don't know if Gaethje takes that fight because, you know, I don't know how much he has to gain. I think there's guys with bigger names that are as dangerous or less dangerous that he could take on. Um, he's got a lot to lose in that fight, and Fazeev's got a lot to gain if that fight happens. So it's it's going to take some negotiation uh, for sure, to to make that fight happen, um, but I like to call out. Yeah, you know, you know the fight. I'd like to see. <clears throat> I'd like to see him go up against that guy Gamrot. Well, who's the guy that fought a couple? Tavs oh, Gamrot. Yeah. That's a fight. That's yeah, a fight. I'd like one. to see because that's a guy with a gas tank from hell, and he yeah. could. He's not stopping. You know what I mean? You're gonna have to stop him early, or I think he just he'll he'll run you into the ground. That guy. That that pace that him and. Uh, um, Sarukian. Sarukian put on was was crazy, like crazy. It was triple the pace of last night. You know, like I don't know who's holding up to that. So that's yeah. a Gamrock and Gamrock can wrestle, boy. Yeah, yeah, he can <laughs> wrestle. That's a guy I'd like to see. I'd love yeah. to see that. Good attitudes on both guys. You know, they're both at the right time in their careers. 
you know, instead of picking a guy that's been around for a while, he's been in major fights, you know, he's, I think sometimes you just lose that hunger. You know what I mean? And whether you're saying it or you're not saying it, I'm saying subconsciously, that's what happens a lot of times. You know, your brain is always going to say, look, I'm making another run. I could beat this guy, I could beat that guy. But the reality of it is you're not, you're not the guy anymore, you know? And uh, I, that's a fight I'd, I'd rather see than the Gaethje fight. But the Gaethje yeah. fight would be explosive, but <clears throat> yeah, the lightweights are pretty strategic too. I, I do think a lot of them are trying to angle for specific matchups and will hold out. And uh, more on that in a moment. Quickly yeah. want to get to the scorecards. Derek Cleary had it thirty-eight, thirty-eight going into that fifth hey, round. They, the there you go. Judges had it uh, three to one uh, okay. for Rafael Bazeev. So. In terms of selectivity among contenders, right? So Sean Strickland fought Alex Pereira, an unranked guy. Now, I don't know if Sean Strickland got a new contract or got more money to accept a fight against a wicked dangerous guy who wasn't even ranked. But right now, I believe Bilal Muhammad is ranked maybe four or five in the world, beat Vicente Luque, who was also four or five in the world, and now is going to fight Sean Brady, who in a lot of respects, is the boogeyman at 170 pounds, who seemingly nobody wants to fight. I do think Bilal and Brady stylistically have some similarities. Um, and I don't know why Bilal accepted that fight, you know, maybe establishing some promotional goodwill. Maybe he got more money. You know, maybe he just wants to prove, hey, I'll beat that guy, whatever it takes, you know. Um, but, you know, Bilal was trying to angle for the Hamza Chimaya fight, doesn't get it, and now gets Sean Brady, who you can argue is just as dangerous, five or six spots below him. Um you know, I don't think Fazeev, after beating a former world champion like this, uh, is going to fight Mataj Gamrot, you know, no matter what the rankings say. I just don't see it, you know. Uh, but thankfully, you have guys like Bilal and Strickland, uh, you know, who are willing to take fights and sort of keep, you know, the cycle moving. Uh, well, you don't think Fazeev will take the fight? No, I don't. I don't think you call out somebody as high profile as Gaethje, top eight needle mover in the entire company and then accept a fight against Gamrot, who many think lost to Saruk I agree. Yeah. I, I share your, your yeah. enthusiasm. I'm just saying, like, you know, like, you, there are people in Bilal's inner circle that are like, dude, why are you fighting a guy five or six spots below, you know? Who, who's, um, Bilal, who's Bilal's manager? Do you know? Ali Abdelaziz. Yeah, I mean... But, you know, like Cody's saying, Rafael. You know, you know, I, I'm going to say you're not getting more money for the fight. He's not getting more money for the fight, okay. for sure. Okay. That's, I, so, I would I would bet my life on it, but I, I don't know. Uh, I just think they know how to manipulate guys that want to fight, and they don't give a shit. And Bilal's that guy. He wants to fight, and they're going to use that, you know, to their advantage. Well, and I, I think also that, think that's, for Bilal. That's it. You know, there's a lot of guys like that, you know. Um well, and I, I think if Bilal beats Sean Brady, I mean, then you might be able to really try to hold out for a championship opportunity, you know. Um, I mean, I think yeah, where, where, yeah, where is Brady? Go ahead, Kemp. Well, what do you got? Yeah, the only thing I would say, it, it'd be impressive because of the win streak, but I don't think people are going to be like, he beat Sean Brady, give yeah, him a title shot. I, I don't think that's the case. I think 100%. more than anything else, I think Bilal matches up tremendously well against Sean Brady than he mm -hmm. does against Chimaya. Chimaev's a problem, right, for anybody. Yeah. Like, yep. Bilal likes to take people down. Uh, he uses his striking to get there. He's not taking down Chimaev, okay? Like, I, I love Bilal. That's a really tough matchup for right. him. He's going right. to have to strike his way to win against Chimaev, I think. Um, and then against Brady, I, I think he does a lot of what Brady does, maybe even better, uh, you know, uh, in some ways. Maybe not as clean with his submissions as Brady. Brady's much 
a much more dangerous submission threat than Bilal is, but I think Bilal positionally and wrestling-wise will probably be better than Brady. So I think it's a better match for him. So uh, momentum-wise, consistency-wise, I agree with you, John, but I, th- I don't think Sean, the Sean Brady win is going to get fans and the UFC to be clamoring you know, for a title shot for Bilal, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I, I 100% agree with that. And look, Bilal's a guy that want, he's going to fight. You know, those are the guys, whether they like him or they don't like him, they're going to use him to their advantage. They're going to put him with, with they'll, they'll probably try to overmatch him because they probably, I'm assuming they don't like him that much. You know what I mean? Because they're not pushing him a lot to, you know, like what you say for a title shot. But, um, yeah, yeah, I don't I think the Brady. I, I don't think the Brady it. fight's going to move the needle because I don't. I think Brady needs a couple of more high-profile fights, you know, to get his name right up there. Yeah, yeah. he's know? a we, great we, fighter, but he's yeah, not. We doesn't know, have we that name he, power. Yeah, right. Yeah. We know who he is, but I bet. Yeah, I walk out of my house and I ask the first twenty MMA fans who he is. I'm not sure they're going to say much. You know what I mean? There's I Bobby. He, there's Greg. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. Now. And Peter. he's from the Northeast, right in your backyard. Not really, yeah. but Philadelphia. No, no, without yeah, a doubt. No, 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 I think no. it's great, an interesting great conversation. Fighter. It's, not, it's not a thing on him. It's like, no, he is. I, look, I love guys like that. They're great, and you don't know they're even there. Those are the guys I literally love. They're not making an asshole out of themselves, yep. screaming, yeah. calling people out. He's a dangerous they, fight they, for anybody. They, yeah. The guy's a grinder, and he loves to fight, and he's going to go in there and fight. That We're just talking marketing now. We're not talking right. reality, you know? Right. That's why I say right. even with even with Fazib, Marketing wise, what a fantastic call out. You know what I mean? Because whatever Gaethje does really good, this guy is really good at. You know what I mean? Yeah. They want to trade leg kicks. I'm sure this guy's eating a thousand leg kicks. He's he's and, used to it. You know what I mean? So yeah, and that and that's where like the business side of fighting is is so crucial, right? Yes. It's like you know yeah. Cody's making some great calls. He's saying you know like you'll get a Fazeev who's going to call out a Chandler or a Ferguson or right. guys that are at the end of their career, still yeah. good fighters. Big names, right? But kind of near the end of their career. Without Those are the guys doubt. that he's trying to target, which would give him that jump and that hype to get that championship fight where Sean Brady, great fighter. People in the know know who Sean Brady is, but that's a tough out. But um, the, the general fan isn't going to know. And then that's yeah. why, you know, I, I think uh, Gilbert Burns doing the right thing by trying to get a fight with Masvidal. Yeah, uh, another right, guy, huge right. name, one of the biggest right. names in the UFC. Guy at the end of the career, at end of his career, where he can you know get another big win and put himself back into you know title contention. But yeah, what I thought doubt, Burns yeah. Muhammad would have made a lot of sense. Uh, and also right. a shout out to Jack Hermanson, by the way, uh, who is was supposed to fight Darren Till in a few weeks. He's fighting the unranked Chris Curtis, and I believe Hermanson's probably in the top seven. And we'll have more on this with Brian Petrie. But Jack Hermanson, Ken Flo, by the way, opened a betting favorite against Chris Curtis, and immediately. Uh, Chris Curtis went to like minus 150, at least wow. where I place my bets. So uh, maybe, <laughs> yeah, maybe that's all big gun Brian Petrie's action. I don't know. Um, but it is interesting when you think about, uh, you know, certain guys like Dominic Cruz, who literally like they're not going to fight Cheeto Vera until he's ranked above him. Like they are not mm-hmm. trying to fight backwards. And I do believe if you're below, it's like, all right, if I beat Vicente fucking Luque, right, in a rematch, in a main event, that opens the door for the Covingtons and the Chimaevs and the Gilbert Burns. And instead, he's fighting a guy five slots ranked below Gilbert Burns. So mm-hmm. it tells me, yes, he wants to keep the momentum going. The best way to stay relevant with the fan base uh, is to stay active and to fight. Uh, you know, you're telling me maybe he didn't get new money for the for the deal. Uh, Sean Brady is undefeated. 
But you're right. Yeah. It's the avid fans who really see the upside. Of right, that right, right. Yeah, without a doubt. And I think there comes a point where it's always easier to fight up than fight behind you. And I think that's where Fiziev is. I think there's probably five fights behind him that would be way worse for him than taking somebody. These, you know, these guys build up their name, but then all of a sudden they're 38, 37. You know, it's a, it's a different ball game. You know, so what he did is genius for that. You know, Bilal, if he was smart, he would have had in his contract if he beat Luke A, that he's guaranteed a fight with A, B, or C. But that doesn't it doesn't work like that, you know. And you you get a lot of you get a lot of pushback from the promoters. You you really do. They they uh, you know, just go back to remember Brendan Schaub did that thing on Joe Silva where the guy says, "You want to listen to what he has to say about you?" He put him on like the uh, another line. The guy just pissed on him. You know what I mean? So. You know, they either like you or they don't like you. Yeah, yeah. Don't talk about my friend Joe Silva that way, okay? <laughs> I love both those guys. I love Shab as well. Joe, hey, we Joe, got, yeah, go ahead. Oh, we got uh, another UFC Hall of Famer, Mark Ratner, coming up in about 60 seconds. And, oh, and I beautiful. want to give you a chance please, to say hi to Mark. My, no, I'm yeah. going to let you say hello. But I just had one more thing that I wanted to ask you both. So Alexander Volkanovsky broke his thumb. And in all likelihood, he'll be out till December, right? which would be the time for his next title defense, right? We have a huge main event coming up in six days between Yair Rodriguez and Brian Ortega. Brian Ortega twice has challenged for the undisputed UFC featherweight championship. Yair Rodriguez hasn't competed very often, but he's never challenged for the belt. So if Yair Rodriguez wins, perhaps he's the guy. Maybe Josh Emmett in his late 30s is the guy. But Ken Flo, I'll start with you on this. I would submit to you one thug nasty Bryce Mitchell. Mm. who wrote on social media, and by the way, has the requisite winning streak to get a championship opportunity, as far as I'm concerned, and respect to Arnold Allen as well in this mix. But Thug Nasty sort of, and I'm paraphrasing, said, you know, a lot of these other guys maybe aren't calling out both because they don't think they have the chops to beat him. You know, Bryce really thinks he has the style and the tenacity and the tools uh, to beat Volkanovski. So um, I've been thinking a lot about Volkanovski since his his dominance of, of Max Holloway. And I just, before we get to Mark, I wanted to get your thoughts, Ken Flo, on on Bryce Mitchell as viable featherweight challenger right now for Volkanovski? Um, I, I think he's one fight away from that. I, I think if, if you're going to beat someone like a Volkanovski, I think Bryce does have the grappling skills to challenge him in, in a lot of different areas there on the ground. And But um, I, I would like to see his striking sharpen up a little bit more. Volkanovski showed that he has, oh. um, you know, now a world-class striking for sure. You, you do that to a Max Holloway, you're doing something right. He just looked really clean and sharp uh, and and more Crazy. sophisticated than a lot of strikers out there, man. Crazy. Uh, what he was doing is kind of next-level stuff. So I love Bryce Mitchell. I love his attitude. Um, but I think he, I'd like to see at least one more fight and, and some sharpening of his striking skills first. Yeah, I got to tell you, first off, I, I didn't get a chance to see you guys last week, but Volkanowski hit another level to me. That was a phenomenal performance against a guy that's been really doing really good. I thought Max was going to give him way more problems in that fight, and I couldn't have been more wrong. Volkanowski, and again, he didn't play it safe. He went for it. He was, he's a problem, you know. So the Bryce Mitchell thing is, man, I love Bryce Mitchell. You know, and I, and I, you know, I'd like to look, you got to get, you got to start changing up the fights and giving guys that haven't fought yet a, a chance to fight. So I would say, I would say, I don't even know if one fight would help him, Kenny, with the way Volkanowski I looked. I mean, yeah. he was, he was sharp. The way he's been performing lately is, 
on another level and he looks healthy and he looks he just looks dynamite man that was oh, a fantastic yeah. performance like i can't say enough about it. just man his combos were crisp they were fast he was the way he could hit and exit without getting hit he made beautiful you know when you look at like the levels of even what holloway did to calvin cater and then what he did to Hall this is crazy i mean that they're, they're it, it, and cater i love you know i and i almost always used to think cater would have been a better matchup for volkanowski I don't even know now. This guy's just yeah, he was yeah. he was on fire, you know. But I'd like no, to see maybe Calvin Cater against Bryce Mitchell and then the winner maybe gets Ooh. something. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's a good one. I'm just telling you for me, as fan yeah. and commentator, the intrigue for me, even right now, and Volkanovsky probably be a four to one favorite against Bryce Mitchell, but lock the door behind those two, getting ready to call that fight. I'd be very curious to see how that would play out. All right, now I want to welcome in one of my dearest friends. Uh, this man's in a lot of Hall of Fames, oh, UFC man. Hall of Famer, International Boxing Hall of Famer, just to name two of them. Many of you know him, of course, as the UFC's VP of Regulatory Affairs. The great Mark Ratner is with us after a very busy Saturday in Vegas. My man, you see Kenny Florian and Ray Longo. Good morning, sir. How we doing? Uh, good morning. Uh, hi, Ray. Hi, Ken Flo. I'm delighted to be with you guys. Uh, and it was a good, a, a fun Saturday yesterday. Two NBA games and our uh, our Apex fight, so it was a good day wow. for me. Beautiful. Do you see how Do you see how tan Ray Longo is, Mark? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, we can barely see him. He's that tan. That's it. But uh, well, Mark, I want to say congratulations. You've always been a gentleman. I followed you when you were, you know, the commissioner of boxing. You did an outstanding job, as you did when you the UFC was a. What a beautiful find that was for them. You were really instrumental in getting them going. So yeah, you've had a great career, and nobody deserves being in the Hall of Fame more than you. And um, just congratulations, man, on everything. Thanks, man. I'm delighted to see you guys, and uh, I hope to see you soon. All right, Ray, we're going to let yeah. you get on out of here unless you have a parting shot um, because I'm going to hit Mark Ratner very hard today. I'm actually not going to hit him hard. Hard. Don't do, don't you <laughs> touch Mark Ratner. What's the matter with you? <laughs> Show some respect. that He's a Hall of Famer. Hey, okay, Kenny, can you give this guy some manners, please? I got to talk to him after the yeah. show. I'm going to talk to uh, him. Right, uh, listen, uh, shout out to Jake Shaw. Him and his uh, team have been in the, at the gym preparing for his fight. What a bunch of great guys uh, all the way from Wales to come in. And, you know, I just uh, – I love seeing that, man. I've been treated so good all across the world. Wherever we go, we always have a gym to train. I love opening up my gym to guys that come from far away because I know how – crazy that could be and stressful to find right. a place so uh shout out to those guys i wish them the best of luck on saturday they just seem like salt of the earth people and what a the kid looks fantastic whatever i've seen in the gym unbelievable so uh just great bunch of guys i want to say hello to them because i, I love meeting new people and especially when it's you know not you know 10 minutes away so yeah no that's exciting we're gonna get to jack shore uh later in the main event challenge but uh don't forget to pick up that sunday new york post ray and i'll see you in a few days my man oh i'm definitely picking that up and i'm right, just <laughs> and i'm just gonna look for my name and if i don't see it i'm not even gonna read it right, i'll talk yeah. to you guys later take it easy. Right. congrats john and mark congrats again buddy nobody Thanks, deserves man. it more than you ken flow i'm out of here take it there easy. he is the Ray Longo Minute every week here on the Anakin Florian podcast. And now we go three wide and put Mark Ratner there in the center. Of course, many of you know him uh, as the UFC's VP of Regulatory Affairs. And he's got a new book out. It's right here. It's called Ringside, My Life Outside the Ropes and the Octagon. 
what a legend. I've been going through this all morning, my man. I don't even know where to begin. But before I get into the book, so you had NBA Summer League duties yesterday, and then you rifle over to the UFC Apex. So uh, right. what can you tell us about, about your day and uh, all that you were able to ingest uh, yesterday there in Nevada? I think most importantly, I went to watch my grandkids play uh, uh, eight and under uh, hoops. That was a start with it about <laughs> nine o'clock yesterday morning. Then I went over to the Thomas and Mac. I did have the uh, season that Miami Heat, so that yeah. was fun. And uh, the uh, Boston got beat, I think, by nine or ten. Uh, it's really hard to see what kind of teams these are because they're playing so many guys, and, and a lot of people you'll never see again. But uh, I did see Ponchero play the night before, and uh, he's the real thing. Yeah, the sounds movie. like. I actually did bet on the summer league for the first time yesterday, knowing that you were going to be there. And uh, again, these are just handicappers sending plays, right? It's not me yeah. handicapping the board. And uh, and we went two and one, so we were in the black. So um, historically speaking, just to sort of get this out of the way, and for my own personal curiosity, having gone through the book a little bit, and by the way, Ringside uh, is available at ufcstore.com, also on Amazon and really wherever you get your books, uh, Ringside, My Life, Outside the Ropes and the Octagon. Um, you joined the Nevada State Athletic Commission in 1985, became executive director in 1992, 1992, and then you joined the UFC in 2006. So I guess I'm just curious, in 2006, obviously in hindsight, you made a great decision. I'd imagine your wife agrees. But what was your thought process at that stage of your life, professionally speaking, uh, to leave the friendly confines, so to speak, of the commission world and, and join the UFC at that time? Well, uh, Lorenzo at one time was a commissioner for the Nevada Athletic Commission. And uh, in late 2005, he came to me and said, have you ever thought about leaving the commission? I said, no, I've got the best regulatory job in the world. And he said, well, we'll talk early uh, 2006. And uh, quite simply, Lorenzo's a great salesman, but uh, he brought in the closer, Dana. And uh, it was that simple. And uh, I told him I couldn't come till after a De La Hoya fight. Uh, uh, I think it was uh, Cinco de Mayo in 2006. Uh, the next next Monday after that fight, I came over, and uh, I still love to go to boxing, but uh, never looked back. Uh, it was the second best decision, the first best decision, obviously getting married, but the second one was coming to the UFC. So when I left ESPN in 2011, there were a lot of people in my life who suggested, hey, man, you know, it took you forever to get to Bristol, Connecticut. You're finally there. And now you're going to go do this mixed martial arts thing. You know, you've never punched a heavy bag in your life. You don't know anything about that sport. Uh, and certainly, you know, you can argue both sides of my coin, I guess. But have you ever had a conversation with your wife? It's like, hey, honey, I think uh, I think we made the right decision. Right. I don't know if it's reflectively after you're inducted into the Hall of Fame or after you get. MMA regulation done in New York, but was there ever a conversation with your family about that decision and sort of the quality of the decision you made at that time, not knowing exactly what you were walking into? Well, the first thing is uh, with Lorenzo and Dana, we never talked about anything but uh, America. We didn't talk about the world, so I had no idea what the job would entail except going to different states trying to get the sport approved. And obviously, uh, New York was the uh, cherry on, on top, and it took us eight years. But uh, no, my wife, uh, she supported it. Uh, she just, uh, the only thing she really told me when I left, she said, you have to get a contract for at least three years because you're leaving a good job. And yeah. So that was, uh, that was it. That's good. Mark Ratner with us here on the Anakin Florian podcast. So 
20 years ago, I'm getting started in sports radio, probably around the time we used to have the great Mark Ratner on the Mouthpiece Boxing Show. He would always come on with little peons like us, you know, I got to say. Um, but my grandfather said to me probably, I don't know, 2002, that if you take five minutes every day to write down a couple of sentences about your day in 15 or 20 years, you'll have a memoir and really wish I had done that because my memory isn't great. Uh your memory's pretty good. How was the process for you in terms of jogging your own memory when you went back to, to write this book? It, the key was having a, having a writer help me, a, a ghost writer. And um, we would talk um, probably about two hours a week for five to six months. And um, every time you'd ask a question, it would remind me of something else. And uh, so uh, what would happen is I would think of other things and then he would send me a chapter and I would edit it and make a couple changes. And I, I don't think I could ever just sit by a computer and write things down. So right. it turned out, uh, uh, I wasn't sure how it would turn out, but I'm, I'm very happy with it. And uh, I wrote it more for my family and my friends. I'm not trying to be a bestseller or, or anything huh. else. That's all I wanted to do. And uh, it came out good. Oh, Mark, you've been like, probably one of the biggest sports fans that I've ever met. I mean, John is one of the biggest sports fans I've ever met. You made you make him look like a noob. Uh, you've been involved you. as an executive director. Uh, you know, you've refereed a, a bunch of college games and things like that. Is, is there a top three for you as far as events that you've been a part of that were most memorable? I know it's kind of a difficult question because I know you've been around so many different sports and events. But Well, uh, the highlight of my officiating career was uh, working a game at Notre Dame. To walk on that field, uh, have the leprechaun dance around me. I, I watched Rudy a couple of days beforehand. I, I touched the, uh, the sign and say, play like a champion today. Had Charlie Weiss yell at me for three hours. That was my <laughs> highlight. Uh, in, in football, uh, in boxing, the two mo most memorable things, obviously, were the bite fight. And the most crazy thing ever still was the fan man flying into the ring with a propeller. That's right. To his ass and, uh, and there's nothing in the rule book that says, what do you do now when a guy flies into the so Those are my most memorable moments. That's you know, awesome. Ken Flo pay, played soccer at Boston College, but I know he doesn't have the, the venom or the hate for Notre Dame that I do as a BC football fan. <laughs> um, That's cool. Mark, Mark I wanted, you mentioned Mike Tyson real quick there. There's some good Mike Tyson stuff in the book. Uh, is there a, a story or or – I don't know, some kind of uh, tidbit uh, history that you can kind of talk about that uh, was most memorable for, memorable for you? Uh, one day I was uh, driving my kids to school and I saw this guy jogging by and uh, he knew me from the commission and he stopped and uh, just uh, was Tyson jogging by himself. And he said, uh, and he has a, a little bit of a list and he said, hi, Mr. Rathner. <laughs> and uh, uh, instead of loaded the kids, uh, considering everything, and uh, I was the face of the commission, uh, he's always been uh, very nice to me, didn't hold anything against me. I'm the one who had to say, you got to give us $3 million of your purse, and uh, just, a, um, just a crazy time. But whenever I see him now, when he walks into a fight, he's still the most popular guy there. It's amazing. Uh, he is just right now, I'd say he's in the top of his career as a – as an yeah. entertainer, as a writer, as a uh, uh, stand-up comedian, uh, I'm, I'm happy where he is in his life. Yeah. 
And it seems like the cannabis he gets is a lot better than the stuff they have down here in South Florida. I don't know. I, I think that there's probably some truth to it. I think he's he's in the market for it. I think he's in the business of it. Yeah, yeah. he is. So, Mark, perhaps most interesting for me uh, is some of the stuff on the MMA legalization in the book and just the tremendous lengths that you and Lawrence Epstein and everybody else went to to get mixed martial arts regulated statewide across the U.S. Um, So the momentum from one state to the next, right, I'd imagine, and you touch on this in the book, but when, you know, you get a certain state done to be able to be buoyed by that, to go to the next state and say, hey, you know, just next door, we got this done. I'd imagine that gave you a tremendous leg to stand on as you, you know, knocked one state off after the next. Yeah, especially from the economic sense. We're saying to uh, to Pennsylvania, you know, this 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 state right next to you is doing it. Your people are going over the border to New Jersey or something. Right. Uh, you're losing money here. Right. So that that was one of the uh, the process. And I always want to give credit to Mike Mersh, who who was our our great friend. Who uh, I needed a lawyer with me wherever we went. Uh, I could talk to the uh, the regulators, but uh, to have the lawyer talk to the attorney generals and the different uh, people was a big key, and he was very special for me. Yeah. No, I, I remember you, me, and Merce used to travel a lot together when I lived uh, in Las Vegas several years ago. Right. So what are your emotions like on fight night compared to, say, 20 or 30 years ago? And I ask that, you know, Mark always comes over to the broadcast booth and gives me the handshake or the fist bump and, and helps give me confidence. And, and obviously I have my own emotions on fight night trying to get my head around the next eight hours or so. But um, for you, uh, what is it like, you know, walking into T-Mobile Arena for UFC 276 compared to, you know, the bite fight way back in the day? No, it's a lot different because I was worried about so many uh, for boxing, so many different facts, uh, facets of it to make sure the uh, ropes were good in the uh, in the ring, make sure that all the inspectors are ready. And uh, so I had a little checklist. Now, when I come to the fights, uh, the most important part would be uh, the check-in with the uh, with Zach, our producer, or directors, and just in, in case I need uh, to talk to them. But uh, uh, there's always a feeling of excitement. I like the way the crowd grows uh, as the fights progress. And uh, there's a different energy in MMA than boxing. The crowd's younger, obviously. And uh, the music, uh, it's like a rock and roll concert with fights in between. For me. Yeah. And, and then when you get to the main event, it's uh, it's just a, a very exciting. And uh, I think the energy is really what gets to me. Yeah. Do you have any of these internationals on your docket coming up? Are you going to London or Paris or no? Uh, I'll go to New York next week, uh, right. then London after that. And I'm uh, planning on Paris. Yes. Wow. Okay couple more minutes here with the great Mark Ratner. Again, you can get the new book ringside my life outside the ropes and the octagon uh, at amazon.com right now. Um, born in Phoenix, Arizona. And this is just a selfish question, but raised in yeah. Las Vegas, you went to Reno. Do you have any rooting interest for the Phoenix, Arizona sports teams whatsoever? Uh, none whatsoever. Uh, I was born there, but uh, we left, I think when I was uh, maybe four or five years old, moved to Southern California. Um, and my my fandom has sort of changed. I was a big Dodger fan. I'm not quite as big a fan. I don't know all the players like I once did. Uh, I became a Red Sox fan because I really was never a Yankee fan. And by going to Boston, walking around there made me a, sort of a Boston fan. Uh, we got him, like John. Uh, and uh, you know, having our employee, Sean, being a, a relative of, of Brady's made it, made it even more special. Sure. So... Um, but uh, I, I do like all sports. I just 
was watching Wimbledon before uh, we came on here. So yeah. uh, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a great time to be a sports fan. Oh, and I love those few minutes with you before a UFC event. And candidly, more often than not, you know, Mark and I are probably talking about the Belmont Stakes that is just about to, you know, start or something uh, relatable in the uh, in the sports world. But, uh, well, I congratulate you on the new book. And uh, you've been a dear friend and comrade for me on the road for uh, for many years. And uh, again, wish you nothing but the best with this project. And, uh, you know, I hope you're I hope you're by my side for 20 years to come, my man. You know, it's crazy. As a sports fan, for me, as I get older, like I, I have a soft spot for the New York Jets, like the Toronto Maple Leafs. I used to hate that team as a kid. And now I those fan bases are so starved. Like if you could pick one team, Mark, to win a championship next, like do you have enough of a rooting interest for one team in sports? Like for me, no doubt about it, it would be the Boston Celtics because they just came so close. Like do you have one team that you would root for, like to win a title next? Well, I, I was a, a good Cub fan. I was really happy when they finally got to, to be good. Uh, when it comes to the NBA, uh, I was actually hoping that the uh, the Nets would be a, a real team with the, with the three superstars. And would they play 14 games together in three years or something? I so know. that was a big disappointment for me. Uh, I think the league's better, the NBA's better when the Knicks and the Lakers are strong. That makes it more of a, uh, a, a better time. But uh, all these small market teams, I want to see what uh, what happens in New Orleans with Zion. Maybe they'll finally get some guys guys around him, and they'll do good. So uh, the yeah. NBA is just it's exploding right now. No, they, you're right. The NBA is on fire, and the Memphis Grizzlies. I don't have a soft spot for the New York Knicks yet. I don't know if that will ever materialize. <laughs> you know, I think the Knicks and the Yankees are on an island by themselves. But uh, <laughs> he is the UFC Hall of Famer, International Boxing Hall of Famer, Mark Ratner, and again. The book is Ringside, My Life Outside the Ropes in the Octagon. Appreciate you getting up for us today, and uh, I look forward to seeing you uh, on Long Island here in a few days. All right. I'll see you soon in Ken Flo. I, I, didn't, didn't you fight once at 170 or something? How, how did that <laughs> 55 and 45. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a little bigger than the last time you saw me, Mark. <laughs> no, you're, you're amazing, and uh, I thank you, uh, both of you, and, uh, and Ray, too, and uh, that's, thanks for having me on. Great to see you. There he is. UFC. It's VP of regulatory affairs. Mark Ratner with us on the Anakin Florian podcast. Absolutely love that guy. You know, drop a cannabis like he don't miss a beat, you know, just a (laughs) tremendous, tremendous individual. And, uh, you know, I have to say, Kenny, Mm. you know, there was a time in my career where I was hosting the the mouthpiece boxing show and we might have had a hundred listeners, you know, and so when certain guys, you know, Michael Buffer, Joe Tessitore, Max Kellerman would come over, you know, they didn't necessarily want to give us the time of day, you know, yeah. could barely look us in the eyes when we were interviewing them. But you could always count on Ratner, you know, the real fucking article from day one. Dude, absolutely. I mean, he's overseen some of the biggest fights in history. Uh, and from the moment I met him as uh, the as the executive director of the NSAC, uh, to when he got, you know, the big job over the UFC, he has been exactly the same, always humble, always a gentleman, um, always uh, a passionate sports fan. Love that guy. One thing I didn't get to, he brought up the Greg Hardy inhaler situation in his book and, uh, you know, the illegality of it. I still don't think we have total clarity on when you can use an inhaler, right? Like, can you right. use it on the bus ride over to the live event? Can you right. use it in the locker room? Seems like you can't use it uh, in between rounds. Uh, 
All right, before we get to the pronunciation of the week, I just wanted to put a bow on UFC Fight Night, Dos Anjos versus Fazeev. Very happy for Chase Sherman, you know, to, to, to get a bonus, right, to get a win. I believe his last fight against Alexander Romanov, he was the biggest betting underdog mm-hmm. in UFC history. And he's just been through a lot, you know. Um, you, you know, some some issues uh, after surgeries with getting like a bad drug in his system. Like he's just been through a lot. So I'm very happy for Chase. I know you're happy for Faraz Sahabi's younger brother, Eamon, who got a win yes. over Ricky Fursios in a fight that uh, wasn't necessarily great. And then fight of the night, Jamie Malarkey and Michael Johnson. Uh, you know, I think for a lot of people, this is a great lesson in why maybe you should bet on baseball and not mixed martial arts because Michael Johnson was plus 230 or so. And uh, you got dudes walking to the window to cash those tickets and uh, it goes to Jamie Malarkey. I know. Listen, Malarkey fought his ass off, right? And this is not a knock on him. But I thought if you're, again, if you're scoring fights the way that we've been talking about for the last several weeks when we had Sean Sheehan on and all that, Michael Johnson, I thought, should have won that fight. It was it was two to one. He won the first round and the third round, in my opinion. Uh, and I think a lot of people felt the same way, uh, except for those judges. I also think if we go back to the Chase Sherman and Vandera fight, yes, those guys had Sherman winning that fight. Sure, they had Sherman winning that fight. Whereas I thought Vandera was winning those first two rounds. I thought Sherman right. needed that knockout to win, right. which made it all the more dramatic and impressive. Um, but yeah, man, we again. I, I think it, it goes to show you that really the judges just need to be better at that job at their jobs. I don't think there's a scoring criteria that is going to fix all of those issues. Um, but I don't know. I, I think. Um, it left myself and a lot of fans, I think, still confused about how to score fights. So whatever. And certainly I have been defensive of the judges at times. I think by and large, it has not been a great run uh, for those with uh, with scorecards that matter. Uh, all right. If we missed anything at Anik Florian pod, but in the nature of spinning it forward, we got a big one coming up this weekend. UBS Arena, Long Island, New York. UFC fight night, Ortega versus Rodriguez prelims. 11 a.m. Eastern on ESPN, Saturday, main card on ABC. It is time for the pronunciation of the week, as we call on Cody Merrill. What's up, kid? I'm back. I'm back. You look. I just... got buried last week. I just got the dirt off of me after you guys buried me in a coffin after last week. After last week's pronunciation of the week? <laughs> Correct, or just yes. in general? Okay, yeah. I mean, no, it's no. The pronunci- I mean, yes, yeah, I mean, we're New Englanders. Like, we like to bust balls, but. There, there I was six feet under. It's, it's, been a bad, I it's hope been that a nobody stretch. clips that. That was a terrible visual for me. <laughs> I looked away. Uh, so yeah, I mean, you're several, several below 500. So, uh, yeah, hopefully this isn't a repeat. Was this a repeat or no? I don't think so. All right. So this man is a ranked flyweight. He competes on the main card against Matt Schnell this Saturday afternoon. You can see it on the American oh, Broadcasting God. Company. Uh, Cody Merrow, of whom am I speaking, brother? Well, the main cad from a place that calls itself New York City, but is not New York City. Let me just stake my claim there. If you ain't in Manhattan, you're not in the city. That's all I want to say. Okay. But Sumu Darji. That sounded good, Sumu Darji. Let's hear, let's hear him. Sumu Darji, Zhangzu Xiongyin. Sumu Darji, Zhangzu Xiongyin. Yeah. Sumu Is he saying Sumu? He's like Sumu Darji? Yeah. 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 It's hard what did to you know. So, Suma Darji? Yeah, I think he's Sumu Darji. That's what, no, that's what I said. Okay. okay. All, right. All right. Sumu Darji with the finish. 
Wow. Pop me in there. It'd be John Anik, the other guy, and then me. And then that'll be the the commentary. So just call me in on short notice. I'm ready. I thought that was a pretty good, uh, pretty good fight ending. Me too, John. I thought so too. Mudarji is the pronunciation of the week. And then I have a special treat for Ken Flo Cody. Stay, uh, stay there for a second. So what do you got? This is one of my favorite audio files that we have. The guy who's fighting Brian Ortega in the main event. I just want you to hear Yair Rodriguez in all his fucking glory say his mm. name. I can listen to this file all day. Just listen to uh, to Yair El Pantera say uh, say his name for the masses. Well, part of me thinks you do, John. Like, do you go for runs and Heidi sends you like a one hour loop of like <laughs> that? Like, actually, oh, would be a, a good suggestion at Bruce Buffer. No, I'm just kidding, but. I do believe that uh, Bruce don't do cardio. If you just Come on. listen to the pronunciations over and over and over again. You know. Well, uh, let's listen to this one. Yair Rodriguez. Yair El Pantera Rodriguez. Oh. Yair El Pantera Rodriguez. Oh. No one rolls so the R's like Rodriguez. I can't. Do Maybe it you genetically. Do. Um, you that's do. nice rolling of the R's. Yeah. It's incredible, well, Cody. Uh, things, not ours. Thanks for your contribution. I roll L's. That's about it. You guys, you That's guys good. get that. That's good, yeah. Backwards, <laughs> great flavor. We'll uh, we'll see you uh, on the back end of the program for the marrow seconds. Um, but now we are going to spin it forward. And I know perhaps Ken Flo was a little bit surprised that he would be charged with making seven predictions for UFC Fight Night: Ortega versus Rodriguez. Let us get Damn, to the main dude. event challenge. It's the main event challenge. The main event challenge. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. And join us as he does every week for the main event challenge from the (laughs) MMA Take podcast. Yes. Of course, from the Anik and Florian podcast. And Ryan Petrie, MMA on Twitter. Ryan Petrie is with us. BP, what's up, my man? Hey, what's up? Taking some lumps last <laughs> night. Took some lumps. Took some big old L's. Michael Johnson. I I I was I, I was cashing my fucking ticket. I couldn't believe it. I was texting it, my guys like we got this one. It my wasn't a horrible. It wasn't a horrible decision, but it was a bad one. You right. know what I mean? I, it was like I, that's pretty clear. Like I entertained the masses on Twitter. I got a lot of fl- like, people were like, "What do you mean? I had it from Malarkey. He dropped him around one." I was like, "Hey." Malarkey got dropped too. It's it, so yeah. it clear that the last thing they see is what they, they attribute. I said, right. They both got dropped, cancel out. Michael Johnson outstruck him. Second exactly. round, clearly Malarkey. Third round, Michael Johnson got like a second win. Start using his right hand more, putting punches in front of it instead of loading up on his left. I thought it was clear as day. One, three, clear two, one. Johnson. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, like I said, I was, that was my big bet of the weekend. And, and then I had RDA. And then my slime ball lost. And uh, yeah, we, we're taking some lumps, but we're going to battle back here. I like some dogs. I got my dog, my dog goggles on. I like some dogs this week. So we'll see. So my brother called me and asked me uh, what I would take in the main event. Since I wasn't calling the fight, I said, I, you know, physique plus 150 by knockout. But that didn't mm. look uh, like a great ticket for much right. of that. But, you know, I just I'm, I'm really thankful. I'm contractually prevented from betting on the sport. You know, mm-hmm. I got smoked betting baseball yesterday i lost 295 dollars but you know <laughs> you know hey i mean this stuff it's is game just we nuts. play john it's but, the game you know we but, play, it, but, but it, you play, like for me if i was able to bet i mean i bet michael johnson plus 230 whatever i don't know yeah. was it a little bit less than that you know and, i got and, my plus 200 on the screws yeah but, like yeah. to me you rip up enough of those tickets you find something else to bet on you know mm-hmm. 
Well, that's what it so. is. I, I was arguing with a guy, and, and, and it wasn't getting contentious. And I said, buddy, this is what the best thing about MMA is. It's, it's A lot of it's so subjective yeah. that it, it it creates these arguments, these disagreements, which is part of the fun. Like, I'm not yeah. taking this seriously. Yeah, I was pissed off because I put a couple unis two to one, and I'm counting my money. Uh, but uh, it is what it is. It's a game we play. I mean, I'm going to bounce back. We're going to be all right. All right, well, let us rifle through some of these selections because this is a very deep card coming up on Long Island. You know, I, I had a hard time eliminating fights, right? We're not picking the featured prelim between Punahele Soriano and Dalshalungi Ambula, right? But we do have seven picks, and we are going to pick one prelim because it is a huge prelim in the Bantamweight division live on ESPN. This fight will probably be around 1 p.m. Eastern. Bantamweight division, 14th-ranked Jack Shore, minus 170. Taking on number 11, Ricky Simone, who is plus 145. Shore out of Wales, as you just heard from Ray Longo. Those guys have been cross-training a little bit there at Longo Weidman MMA. Jack Shore undefeated, 16-0. Ricky Simone, 7-2 in the UFC. And far and away, Brian, Shore's toughest test to date. Yeah. How do you handicap this one at 135 pounds? I got to be honest with you. This is, this is a pass for me as a betting. This is as close as it gets. Listen, if you're a value boy, lean on Simone. Don't call him Simon. It's Simone. Trust me, I've ran into that problem before. Um, but uh, he's really fucking good, and he's fought styles like this. I mean, he fought Marab early in his career, which I thought he was losing the fight until that bullshit, you know, when they when they said what it was with the w weird choke or whatever. I, I won't go down that road. But um, he fought these intense grapplers that are constantly trying to grapple, and J uh, Jack Shore is very similar. To that. He's a little bit different build, longer, apparently very, very strong. His striking's come a long way. But this is as close as it gets, man. I, I think Shore's never fought anybody like Simone. And I think Simone is really coming to his own here. I think his striking's coming a long way. I think he looks powerful. I think his cardio's on point. He's up in Oregon, you know, in, in, in that camp, uh, Gracie Baja, and, he, and he's doing a, some, some great things. I think he's a little under the radar. You know, he popped up to 45 for a while during COVID, and right. now he's back at 35. But I've sung Jack Shore's praises. I think the kid's special. I think his timing on the feet's really good, even though his striking is still coming a long way. I think he's very dangerous on the ground. I think he's going to be more of a submission threat on the ground. I just think they're going to cancel each other on the ground. And it's going to come to power versus versus uh, technique and, and a little bit. You know, Jack Shore has some really great straight punches. I'm going to go chalk. I'm going to go Shore. But it's a pass on a betting side of me. This is just going to be my pick. It's uh, Jack Shore. Yeah, Ken Flo, Simone is plus 145 here. I thought it would be a little bit closer. Not a pick em per se. I thought Jack Shore would be favored, but Simone has won four in a row. Big knockout of Rafael Asuncao last December. He has a little bit of Patty Pimblett in him insofar as he does blow up between fights. If you've seen Ricky Simone on social media this week, I mean, he is literally shredded in mm -hmm. outstanding shape. Um, but he does let himself go a little bit between fights. Um Big opportunity for both Simone and Shore on a big show. Ken Flo, you going with the favorite Shore or the underdog Ricky Simone? Man, fantastic fight. Uh, really curious to see what happens in this one. Um, geez, I've slept on Simone a lot. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, I'm going to go the other way again here with Jack Shore. <laughs> I do think that Jack um, is a little bit cleaner with some of the things he does. Um, it, you know, I think it probably comes down to the wrestling. You know, whoever's able to kind of dominate that aspect, I think, um, you know, whoever gets on top, I, I think is going to have a big advantage because everything else is really damn close. But mm -hmm. um, I, I like Jack here, um, you know, to see what he's done so far and to be undefeated at this stage of his career is very impressive. Um, but this is where the killers, you know, um, start to appear for him yeah. uh, at this point. Um, 
uh, at his trajectory. So let, let's go Jack here. It's like I'm too close to this, but like I see Jack Shore versus Ricky Simone, and I think like UFC fight night main event. I fucking love that fight. I mean, Simone yeah, is just really all place. offense all the time. All right. Yeah. First fight on the main card. This fight was to go down a couple weeks ago. Of course, Misha Tate and Lauren Murphy at flyweight. So Misha Tate, the minus 175 favorite, 10 cents more uh, a favorite than she was a couple weeks ago. Lauren Murphy, plus 150. First fight back for Murphy since she failed in her attempt to uh, wrest the belt away from Valentina Shevchenko last September. Misha Tate has fought twice since she ended a four-and-a-half-plus-year retirement. Now she changes weight classes, Kempo. What do you think about Tate here making her UFC flyweight debut uh, against Lauren Murphy? Yeah, I think it's an interesting fight. I, I do think it's a good fight for Misha in that I feel like all the things that Lauren does well, I feel like Misha does a little bit better. Um, I do think that Lauren is still very scrappy. Um, it, Misha, you know, at this stage of, of her career, who knows if, if she still has that willingness to really get down and dirty if she needs to be. I think she does. But you never know with some of the fighters that have been around for a long time. I do think that, you know, she has a different approach, a different mentality, which I love to see. I think she's going to be more technical here in this fight, and that's going to be the difference. But um, let's go with Misha here. Brian, what do you think? Misha Tate, Lauren Murphy, who do you like? This is a classic. You're tinkering with it because I had my pick lined up a couple weeks ago, and now I've been thinking about it. The producer to the stars, Cody Maris, said he was going to hammer Lauren Murphy at that dog price. And here I am going to go Misha Tate. And and I, I really, the reason I do is because since Misha had birth to her child, she's come back and she's looked just in phenomenal shape. Even at 35, yeah. she was shredded. And she goes, oh, I can make 25. So I'm, I, I'm not super worried about the weight cut because I know I think she's doing it right. Seen the Instagram photos, she seems to be in shape. And Laura Murphy, I just think she's gonna be a little too slow. She's good everywhere, but but she's not great everywhere. And I think Misha's nice gonna kind of expose that with her takedowns. I think Misha's nice very good on the ground. I think she has very good submissions. Um, and she can get really, I mean, as pretty as she is, she can get fucking mean in there and then get real scrappy and yeah. plug it out. And she's tough, she's got a good chin. So I'm gonna go cupcake tate here on this one. All right, next up at Featherweight. The all-action hero Shane Burgos, minus 195, taking on Charles Air Jordan, who is plus 165. So question beckons, guys. Will Shane Burgos become a legitimate title contender, the guy that many thought he would become, right? Because I say all-action hero somewhat tongue-in-cheek, right? It sounds great. He is that, but he has aspirations well beyond just being an exciting fighter. Mm -hmm. um, so if he is to make good on those expectations, Bri, he's got to beat Charles Jordan. How do you handicap this one at 145 pounds? This is the toughest one for me to pick. I mean, besides Simone and Shore, because I'm not going to have action on that fight, uh, this was the toughest one for me. Like, I like Charles Jordan. I think his technique, I think his striking is very good. It's sometimes he he gets caught up in it. If you look at the Julian Rosa fight, like when he wanted, when Rosa wanted to brawl, he and he entertained that idea, and then he kind of fell behind again and got choked out. Shane Burgos is boxing slick. His chin is slick. He's fucking huge for 45. Still, I've I've to every time he I'm gonna tweet it Saturday. You can fucking put your money on it. I was like, how does this guy make 45? Because I think he's in his career at 55, and I think, you know, uh, he's 31 now. As you get a little older, I think 55 is gonna help that chin a little bit. Not that his chin's a problem, but that Edson Barboza knockout scared me. That delayed reaction terrified me. I was like, what is happening? Like his brain was like, no, I'm good, I'm good, and then he just collapses. That was pretty scary. But the guy has absolute nails. His boxing's really good. His power's really good. Um, and, and he gets in and out. His cardio is actually really impressive, too, for being so big. I leaned uh, Jordan early on. And I think Jordan, you know, showed up and showed some submissions. He coming off that guillotine choke. And I, and I like him. But, man, this could be fight of the night written all over. I'm going to go 
Uh, Shanberg goes, I'm going to go chalk. It's a little wide for me. I don't like how it's almost two to one. I just think when the tough gets going, he's been there a little more than Jordan. I think Jordan's yeah. more of a finesse guy. And I think Burgos in New York, he's going to fucking want to bring it. Uh, so give me Burgos, even though I do think the line is a little wide. Burgos has fought so much in New York, all over the state mm-hmm. for the UFC. Outpointed Billy Q last November. That was at Madison Square Garden. He is still ranked now number 14 in the world. Ken Flo on the other side, the much improved Charles Jordan. He's won three of four, submitted Lando Venata earlier this year. How do you handicap his chances here against Shane Burgos? You know, Jordan is, is a very dangerous fighter, and, and he also has a knack for finding a way to make adjustments and, like, coming back and getting a win. Um, but uh, I think this is pretty straightforward. Sometimes I think Jordan, while he does have some flashy stuff um, and, and will sit and watch a little bit, he can get overly aggressive and overly emotional, which is what you don't want to do against someone like a Shane Burgos, I think. Shane Burgos is very consistent, stays pretty composed for the most part. Um, and we saw him in his performance against Billy Q in his last one against a guy who was continued to come forward, throwing a lot of offense at him. But Shane was just kind of picking him apart and, and throwing some devastating shots. And I think he's going to be able to do that here again against Jordan, um, who I think has a lot of potential, but isn't quite there yet to beat someone like Shane. So let's go Burgos as well. All right. Next up at flyweight, the streaking Sumu Darji, minus 240, Matt Schnell, plus 200. So Schnell's still number eight in the rankings. Just one win for him, though, since 2019. Last fight with Brandon Royval was a fight of the night, Brian, uh, despite the fact that it lasted just two minutes and 14 seconds. On the other side, Sumu Darji has won three in a row. He'll try to go from number 11 in the world to the top eight or so. At the very least, he is favored to do so. Brian Petrie, which way are you going here with the men at 125 pounds? I think I might have been the only person alive that watched MTV Caged, and that's where we first got to see Matt Schnell, the yeah. Louisiana boys down there. Uh, I like Matt Schnell. The, the, my biggest problem with Matt Schnell is, is he doesn't fight a lot anymore, and then there's been a little bit of a chin issue. He gets rocked a little bit, and Sumajari can fucking crack you. Problem is, Matt Schnell is really well-rounded. He's kind of fixed that. You look at the rod, rod, uh Excuse me, the Bontarine fight. I'm not going to try to pronounce his first name. I already fucked it up twice. Um, you look at the Bontarine fight. He's a big, powerful guy. Schnell hung in there, and, and, and his chin showed out. His boxing looked pretty good. Um, you know, he's in Texas now. I think he runs his own camp, which kind of throws me a little bit pause, but he's doing MMA a long time that uh, I think it's going to be okay. But Sumajari's loss has come by submission. Matt Schnell has a great triangle. He's active off his back. He's got a great arm bar, and you're giving me two to one for the former MTV star. Give me the dog here, baby. Matt Schnell. Wrapping it up with a submission. I like it. Big spot for Matt Schnell, Ken Flo, especially given the way his last fight went. He dealt with the loss of his mother and uh, just kind of went in there with a reckless abandon that uh, that obviously did not behoove him. Your thoughts on Schnell here seemed like you were nodding, at least during some of that uh, Petrie analysis there. Yeah, I, I think that is exactly where Sumadarji is most susceptible on the ground. I, I... I mean, you could even say he's just weak on the ground. I mean, he makes some big-time mistakes, and if he gives up position against someone like Matt Schnell, I think that's where Schnell can really expose him. So uh, I, I, that's the pick I wanted to go with as well. Let's um, go, Ken. I, I, think it's, I think it's a smart one. Super Darji is, is very dangerous on the feet, and sometimes Matt Schnell um, you know, can sit there and watch his work and get caught. That's what I'm most concerned with, but I think there's enough value uh, there to put money on Schnell. There we go. Yeah. By the so, way, sorry, you started talking about jujitsu in Texas, and it got me thinking about our matchmaker, Mick Maynard, by the way, said to his two daughters, like, hey, 
you know, mix a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, Henzo Gracie black belt. He said, hey, yes. you know, you guys become a blue belt. I'll buy you a car. You know, Ooh, one of his smart. daughters is a blue belt. The other one's saving for an automobile. All right, and welterweight, Muslim Salikov, minus 165. The leech, Li Jingliang, plus 140. So the leech has not fought since that submission loss to Kamzat Shimaev. That was more than eight months ago. He is now training in South Florida, working with my guys at the Institute of Human Performance on the strength and conditioning side. On the other side, the king of Kung Fu, Salikov, has won five in a row, bribe, but we haven't seen this guy in a long time. Hasn't competed in more than a year. Francisco Trinaldo, his last victim last June, was to face Michel Pereira in January, but he was reportedly forced to pull out, which has been a recurring theme in his UFC career. Mm-hmm. Salikov unranked, Jing Leung, number 14 in the world. Who wins, Bri? I like Salikov's style. I think it's flashy. His kicks are really nice. His striking's good. His cardio has been in question at times. I feel like every time he steps up, this guy who's knocking everyone out is all of a sudden not knocking anyone out. But y'all must have forgot about the leech. I mean, this dude is nails. And I know what happened with the Chamaya fight. Everyone's going to write him off. That's why we're getting plus 140 here. I, right. I have this lined a little bit closer because we haven't seen Salikov really take this next step up. And Leach can make it ugly. I mean, Leach went in there. He knocked out Santiago Ponsonibio. And he can get in there and he can make it absolutely ugly. Um, I like the Leach here at plus 140. I'm taking a dog shot. I'm actually pretty confident in this. I think, you know, after the first round, the flashy stuff's going to kind of go away and the Leach is just going to grind on him. He's big for the weight class as well. He went in Vegas. People raved about his training in Vegas. Now he's out in South Florida. He's making yeah. all the right moves here. So uh, give me the Leach at the dog number. Kempfel, what do you think about the welterweights? Lee Jingliang, Muslim Salikov favored to take his number here. Well, I'm I'm definitely feeling a little bit more hesitant uh, picking Muslim here now that I heard BP's <laughs> analysis. I think it's I think it's a good analysis. Um, I I think Muslim is I don't know. I, I think he's a, a little bit cleaner with some of this stuff. I think he could surprise Lee Jingliang, but I do agree if it gets nasty, uh, that's where. You know, Lee Jing Leung is going to thrive and and probably win the fight. But uh, I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to go with Muslim. All right. Let us get to the co-main event at strawweight. Amanda Lemos minus 425. Michelle Watterson plus 340. Brian, earlier in the show, we talked about Jack Hermanson, who is now fighting your good friend, Chris Curtis, who is stepping in for Darren Till. And I know you were able to hammer Chris Curtis at plus money. Yes. He is now minus 156 on my yes. site to take Jack Hermanson's ranking in the top six or so. Yeah. So I, when I, go ahead. No, go no, ahead. I said I had to go. I drove to Indiana when they released the lines. It was minus 110 when I left the house. The only book that I had that was available for me in Indiana was Caesars Sportsbook. So I downloaded that app, got him at plus 140. Now on Caesars, he's minus 140. Literally completely flipped. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I did, I'm going to hammer him again. I just, you know, I just did a little play here to get it at the plus number because I figured it was probably going to be a pick. I mean, Jack Hermanson, I think, is ranked eighth. But okay. I think it's a really good matchup for Chris. I think Chris right. is going to butcher him. I do. I a really lot do. of people like that matchup for Chris. Yeah. Seems like most of the bets and the percentage of handle on Chris Curtis. And mm-hmm. that brings us to this co-main event because I can sit here and say, Amanda Lemos minus 425, Michelle Waterson, given all of her experience, and the fact that she's in the best shape of her life shouldn't be plus 340, mm-hmm. but ultimately nobody's moving that number, right? And right. Michelle is not now all of a sudden plus 260, right? So mm-hmm. this is where we are right now. It's number 10 versus number 11 in the world at 115 pounds. Talk to me, BP. I mean, Lemos was all the rage before she ran into uh, Jessica Andrade and what was her right. first UFC main event. Uh, that was earlier this year. Your thoughts on Lemos, uh, prohibitively favored, I would say, here yeah. against the, 
the karate hottie Michelle Watterson. Very wide, very wide line. I have a horrible track record betting and picking women's MMA. It's just my Achilles heel. Uh, Michelle Watterson, you know, the karate hottie, she came out, came in the UFC as a huge star. Um, you know, she's fighting up a weight class. Let's be honest. I mean, if, if if they had 105 back in the day, she'd be fighting at 105. I mean, the Adam weight is what she was at, what she's known for. But she came in with these flashy kicks and good striking, and then now she's like slowly turned into like a well-rounded mixed martial artist who likes to go for takedowns, but she's just a little undersized, so I don't know if it really works out for her. I think she's obviously improved and made improvements, but when she gets it there, she's not like lights out submissions. She's kind of confuses me sometimes the way she fights, and she's been off for a little bit over a year. You get Lemo, she's coming off that dud against Jessica Andrade, which again, I'm not saying that disrespectfully because Andrade is a beast. Um, she went in there and, and got that standing arm triangle and, and you know didn't tap. I mean, she just you know got flatlined. But um, I still believe in Lemo here. I'm going to go Lemo over Waterson just because I don't know how Michelle Waterson's going to win this fight. I, I I don't know if she can. If she's going to outstrike her. She's not going to knock her out. I don't know if she can outgrapple her. Um, she's in the best shape of her life. I saw the the some photos got posted. I think UFC or someone on Twitter was posting photos. She's ripped, shredded for this fights, and, and I'm glad she's motivated to come back um, because there's been other things outside the MMA world that she's been able to do. Right. Um, but I like Lemo here. I like Lemo here. I think she's yeah. going to be a little more motivated. I think she might be. A little embarrassed by how she performed in the first main event. So she should come out guns blazing here. Give me Lemos, even though, Johnny, you're right. Way too wide to touch. You're going to have to dive into the props for this one. Yeah, Watterson, the karate hottie is back. Hot. She's super hot, huh? Ken Flo, the karate hottie, <laughs> Michelle Watterson. Um, she has dropped three of four, but three of her last four have been UFC main events. She's had some injuries, extended layoff that dates to May of 2021. Uh, Ken Flo, Amanda Lemos, a huge betting favorite here in the co-main event on ABC. Yeah, it's probably because, you know, she matches up so well against a lot of strikers. Now, as as uh, Mr. Petrie said, I, I think that the karate hottie has turned into kind of the the, the wrestling hottie, the double yeah, leg hottie, maybe perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she gets a lot of takedowns up against the cage and, and she's good at, you know, landing that. Her timing has really, really improved. Um, is she a threat on the ground? Not really. That's not going to be enough for me to, to go the other way. You know, I, I don't think she's a threat enough submission wise to catch someone like Lemos. And I think she's in that in between zone where she has one of the best sidekicks in MMA, but mm-hmm. sometimes doesn't utilize it in the right way uh, all the time consistently throughout her fight. Whereas Lemos, um, when she gets her timing, watch the F out. She's an right. absolute assassin. Uh, she can time you going backwards uh she can attack and move forward and land some great combinations she attacks the body extremely well her hands are lightning fast when they're on point um so give me lemos 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 with the with the heo accent and given the way her main event went with andrage you know someone suggested to me earlier today it's a bad time to be fighting a bad she's gonna be be pissed yeah um (laughs) All right, main event. This is a true featherweight title eliminator between Ooh. Brian Ortega, minus 155, and Yair Rodriguez, who is plus 135. One man will be eliminated here. Uh, a lot of fans feel like a win for Yair might just earn him that elusive first UFC title shot. Um, but he has fought just once since 2019. That was a competitive loss, of course, to Max Holloway in a main event in Vegas, November 2021. Kempflo, we're going to leave with you here. What a fight to headline the UFC's first, excuse me, third live event on ABC. Uh, you go on Ortega or Rodriguez, and how do they get it done? Tremendous matchmaking here. Uh, this is a fight between two guys um, with similar backgrounds who do not quit, who have specialties 
um, in, in different areas that I'll, very few people do have, you know, and, and I guess let's go into it. Ortega with the submissions and Yair's speed. Um, every time Yair strikes every fight, I'm always surprised by how fast he is. Like, I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, he's lightning fast. I, I kind of forgot about that. And then the next fight, oh, yeah, he's lightning fast. I kind of forgot about that. He is so damn fast and nasty. Like, every strike he throws, he's either trying to break your leg break your chin, send your head off your shoulders. Like he's a nasty, nasty prick. And in that fight against Holloway, uh, he, he uh, showed that he's tough as well. He's game as hell. Right. And, and we've seen that um, in different instances. And of course with Ortega and his fights, uh, we've seen that this dude is, is ready to die in the octagon. He's another one of these guys Um, tough as hell. And again, if he gets you in the right position, uh, he's going to put you to sleep or break something. Um, he is very dangerous with his submission game, um, and I think this is where he needs to win that fight. Um, is he good on the feet? Yes, he is. I just think Yair uh, made such improvements in that fight against Holloway, and I imagine has made a lot of improvements since. He's one of those guys that I see consistently getting better, more dangerous, making better decisions all the time, um, where he was a little bit more of a, a, a raw dude. Uh, who I thought had a lot of potential, and he has really fulfilled, I think, much of his potential. Still has more to go, but I think his wrestling has made enough improvements where he can thwart those takedowns attempt from Ortega and really punish Ortega on the feet. Um, I don't know if he finishes it, but he's certainly dangerous enough to do it. And and Ortega's dangerous enough on the ground to finish Yair as well. I I just think uh, Yair is streaking at the right time. He's taking smart fights. He's taking the time off in between fights to come back better, smarter. Um, And let's go with Rodriguez. That was outstanding. I might even, when I'm running, if I listen to this back, I don't usually (laughs) listen to the show back. I might rewind it for 30 seconds and listen to that again because yes i mean you encapsulated yair rodriguez for me in a way that i've been trying to like there's just something about when he fights that is yeah. is edge of your seat thriller uh and i think his speed is a lot of uh of that uh and he's Brian got a willing Patriot. dance partner you know that's gonna, oh, gonna no do doubt. the same I mean, this is an amazing City. fight yeah he said he's the man. I think Brian Petrie is going with Yair Rodriguez, but let us hear his main event selection. BP, go ahead. Tell you what, tough act to follow, Kenny. Jeez, you <laughs> fucking nailed it there, brother. Uh, yeah, listen, this is they're both very similar with their trajectories. They both have, yeah, years reached a Frankie Edgar mountaintop and lost. And then he's not as active. Then he reached the Max Holloway mountaintop and lost. But in the Frankie fight where he just looked kind of fish out of water on the ground, the, the Max fight where, if you guys remember, Max was taking him down. And, and he took a lot of damage. That was something I questioned on a year was how tough is this guy? Yeah, he can dish it out, but is he tough? And Max was taking him down, and Max was hitting him, and, and that was a really fun competitive fight. And Brian Ortega, he's had a different trajectory where he's gotten the title shot and he's fell short. So both these guys have fallen short, and this is such good matchmaking and a perfect time for both of them. Uh, Ortega, you're right. He, he, he you know, With the home run dirty coming up, this guy's got the long ball. That long ball is his, his guillotine, his any kind of triangle choke. Obviously, we saw in the Volkanovski fight where that was deep. You look at all this prior fights as well he's losing these fights he was losing them with kind of fight choked him out he was in a competitive fight with clay guida and then caught him you know so it's like that's what this guy does and you're giving me five rounds here that's interesting to look at but i think yair is just on another level right now you're giving me plus money on a guy who i think is in the prime of his life i think his striking is is crazy his hands are or his feet are just as fast as his hands which is unbelievable 
His power's there for a guy that's pretty lanky and he doesn't look like the most powerful guy. He finds your chin, it's, it's over, even though Brian Ortega has one of the best chins at 45. This could be very competitive and interesting. And and Brian Ortega has necessarily not fought the best game plans going out there. I mean, he looked great against Zombie. But the clear path to victory here, if, if, if I'm in Ortega's corners, let's get this fight to the ground, right? I mean, but he doesn't really do that. And so I question if his takedowns are that good because his jitsu is that good. Um, but give me Yair here. I think Yair is going to win this fight. I think it's going to be a decision. I, I agree with Kenny. I don't see it as uh, finished because both guys are nails. But give me Yair at the plus money. Oh, I can't wait to see it. Cannot wait to see it. And uh, we'll see if Yair Rodriguez can uh, can produce that next level win and maybe secure a, a championship opportunity. And uh, I've had the chance to call Yair Rodriguez fight so sparingly that I'm just kind of holding out hope that we yeah. actually get to uh, to fight day. And one <laughs> other interesting wrinkle before we let Brian go. I believe the fighters are going to weigh in at 8 a.m. Eastern time with a very quick turnaround on Saturday. Right. right. So juxtaposed against Singapore, where the athletes get a full 24 hour right. day. And two sleeps. Uh, this will be interesting. So we bump up the way in an hour, but it's still for a lot of the athletes uh, going to be a minimal recovery uh, window. Um, all right. At Brian Petrie MMA for more from Bry, who will have more later in the week on the MMA Takes podcast. Yes. Appreciate you, brother. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Have a good week. And uh, we will talk to you uh, in less than seven days, my man. Awesome, boys. Have a good one. See ya. There, there he is, Brian up. Petrie, with us for the main event challenge. I have to say that our Fight Pass exclusive segment where we look back at Kenny's win over Alvin Robinson at UFC 73. Uh, we appreciate the feedback very much. And I have to say, Ken Flo, your post-fight interview um, where you talk about finishing fights, right? It, tr it it really would translate to modern day. Like I know you people make fun of you for the high-pitched voice or whatever, and then we clip it out so it sounds even more feminine, right? I finish fights, but when you ingest it as its whole clip, it's like, you want to see fights finish, right? I'm going right. to clear out this whole lightweight bracket, and it's only going to be me and fucking Sean Shirk. Like, you actually cut a brilliant promo, um, even though your voice sounded like, you know, puberty was just a couple years before right. you. Yeah. It, it was a good promo for Mickey Mouse. Um, no, listen, I, I think that uh, it, it, it was coming. The other thing. It was coming off the backdrop of Sean Shirk competing against Hermes Franca that night, yes. too. So I was like, it went five rounds. It was another kind of, you know, I was trying to build it as a boring fight by Sean Shirk. And I was like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm the guy out there finishing fights. I'm going to get back there and blah, blah, blah. So I was trying to take advantage of the uh, yeah. Sean Shirk performance, I guess. But thank you, buddy. All right, and in a week or so, we will have our second UFC Fight Pass exclusive and details to come as to which fight we will be looking back at. If you want to give us feedback as to which fight you would like us to watch, certainly um, it might be one of Kenny Florian's. It might not be, but at Anna Florian Pod, it has to be a finish, though. So trying to right. avoid fights that end with a decision at Anna Florian Pod if you wanted to uh, give us some feedback as to which fight we will screen next. All right, before we get on out of here, got to clean out the bone marrow. Get to the marrow seconds. What's up, kid? Hey, you're paying for it. You may as well eat it right down to the bone. You know what I'm saying? I'm telling you. I mean, I, I was at a very fancy restaurant in Vegas a few weeks ago, and they brought out the bone marrow. I didn't even know what to do with it, you know? I love that stuff. You put it yeah. on the bread. Ah, yeah, oh, yeah. Stuff. There you yeah, go. Yeah, All right, Cody. And Kenny's like, oh, well, when I put my okay, caviar man. away in my 1947 right. Cabernet is when I break <laughs> out the bone marrow. I'm just a caveman. All right. Sorry, Cody. Go guy ahead. moves from California. He's still got a wine cellar, so uh, – <laughs> So I just wanted to start off with, I'm not sure if you guys saw this. So this was a fight pass fight where uh, being a badass goes wrong. And I just wanted to play it for you guys to see why I said that. 
So hand behind the back, a little bit of McGregor action uh-huh. there. Uh, round three, 30 seconds left, and you're done. Oh! oh. So if you're audio only, Fighter had his hands behind his back, not unlike Masvidal pre-Askren fight, but yeah, showboating and... Uh, just not great. Just not not a great look, you know, if you're going to try and get on the Contender Series or something. Maybe maybe leave that one out. So yeah. just thought you can find that on UFC Fight Pass if you use our promo code to, to get yourself a subscription there. But, I mean, if you listen to this podcast and you don't have a subscription already to watch our exclusive, like, what are you doing? Like, tell me, yeah. please. What are you doing with your me life? Twitter. I mean, what are you doing with your life? What are you doing, kid? Um, so, uh, interesting autobiography story. So, John, I, I agreed with uh, the point you made. It was like, well, if you had been writing, you know, X amount of pages a week, you know, you'd have an autobiography right now. Well, fun fact, I have a writing minor in college. I took an autobiography class and the professor, she said, you know, if you do 10 pages a week, you'll get to the 80 pages. Like you'll get an A, you needed that many pages to get an A. Yeah, I didn't do that. I did the entire thing the night before. I wrote oh. 80 pages in a single night, which was awesome, but also the worst thing I ever did, because if I can procrastinate and get 80 pages in a night, like what can oh. I do at night's notice? I mean, any recreational drugs to push you through those 80 pages? How do you do 80 pages sober? I wrote a senior thesis. It was 45 pages. It took me months. Yeah, well, let's just say that the sativa was flowing. And we kept the indica <laughs> out of the out of the conversation. But Again, for that- my senior thesis, by the way, Cody and Kenny, uh, was called uh, How the Media Undermines American Democracy. And like, no still, way. I, I wow. Know, and that was in wow. 2001. How, per- how pertinent is that right now? Right. Wow. If only that was relatable to today's day. Yeah, age, exactly. You know? like Damn, everything. dude. John's way yeah. ahead of his time. I love it. I guess. I, I mean, a terrible thesis. That's pretty sick. So, go ahead, Cody. Well, I'm just going to say the next time John's going to be in the New York Post, it's going to be an editorial that he writes, you know, front page <laughs> expose, you know. If like you need the, some quotes, John, let me know. It's will, like, it's like <laughs> the dangers of airline travel, like what 180 hours of flight time in a year will do or to your back body, or yeah. something like that. Um, speaking of around the world, so Jack Shore and his team obviously trading with Rongo. They're there in Long Island getting a lot of hospitality. They tweeted today like, oh, New York City and this other place, like hell on earth. But then the motherfuckers take a picture in Times Square. I'm like, dude, that's like going to Typhoon Lagoon in Disney. Be like, God damn, it's wet here. Like, what do you mean? You went to a water park. Like, you went to Times Square expecting it not to be shitty. Like, don't go to Times Square. Everyone just like PSA. Thanks. Um, Fazeev calls out Rafael Nadal in his uh, post fight. I just thought that was a huge waste. Like. And then he doubled back on it when Bisping came around. So I just wanted to say, you know, like Ruby, you're in the corner, but like maybe maybe be in your guy's ear for the call out because a Gaethje Ooh, call calling out, out Danny Rube, Danny Rube versus Cody Merrow, UFC two eighty three. Yeah, no, I, 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 I'm not even gonna make a joke. Um, but a friendly you didn't reminder, like the Nadal call out. I didn't. It didn't even register on my radar. I know? did the Hasbro one was actually funny, but the Nadal one, and then he doubled back on it, where it was like, okay, bro, like that wasn't funny the first time. Like you just wasted the call out. If he would have gotten on there and been like, Tony Ferguson, you're a bum. Like that sells it for me. Boom, main event, Fazeev Ferguson, make it happen. But right, Rafael right. Nadal, I mean, Rafael Nadal would probably beat Fazeev's ass. I mean, that dude's huge. He's like Dude, six two. Listen but, to the New Hampshire coming out. Fazeev's gonna be on your ass. Forget Danny Rube. No, yeah, no. But I, I, I like the Gaethje call. I just thought it would have been better on the mic. So that's, fair, I thought fair. it was a little promotional uh, mishap there. There, this is your segment, man. I mean, yeah. uh, and then just friendly reminder, everybody: the Long Island card's at 11 a.m. start. It's on ABC, but 11 a.m. start, 2 p.m. main card, and then Steak and Lobsters on the podcast with Ray and John. Steak that's and Lobsters. Right on Ray and John. And there is a chance, thank you, Cody, that we will have 
a live Anakin Florian podcast on Saturday night after the fights. We're trying to uh, get the logistics together, but there is a chance that we're going to do a live recap on the YouTube channel right after uh, UFC Fight Night Ortega versus Rodriguez. Today's show has been brought to you in part by UFC Fight Pass, the world's premier combat sports streaming service with over 200 live events, the largest fight library in existence, original shows, and more. Sign up for one year and get half off for a limited time at ufcfight.pass.com slash sign up. You can, of course, watch Kenny Florian's entire fight library there. If you want his jujitsu content, that is at KennyFlorianMartialArts.com and at FlorianPodcast.com for all of your AF merchandise. If you want the one more sleep stuff, that is exclusively at Millions.co. We got all these people trying to knock us off. Millions.co is the only place to get the exclusive one more sleep gear. And we do have a special uh, Dallas design up for you right now in advance of UFC 277. Thank you to our guests. The venerable Mark Ratner, the slightly less venerable Ray Longo, and Big Gun Brian Petrie, our producer is Cody Marrow. Thanks to every last one of you for listening, for watching, for subscribing, and we will talk to you maybe as soon as Saturday night. Enjoy the fights live on ABC. For Ken Flum, John Anik, thank you all. We'll talk to you soon. Until then, yo fucking later. Hello, I am Dr. George Jesus Mesa, a clinical psychologist and collector of Chicano Latinx art. For generations, we have known of the healing powers of art at an individual and community level. Please join us as we interview prominent artists, collectors, curators, and influencers in the world of Chicano Latinx art. We will explore historical, regional, and political influences that impact Chicano Latinx art today. Along with our partners at www.latinoarte.com, we are preserving the colorful and rich history of Chicano Latinx art for future generations, one interview at a time. Please join us at Healing with Dr. George, The Power of Chicano Latinx Art, wherever you listen to podcasts. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.